0: Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational
1: stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose driven, impact filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine.
0: This is Alan Blaine, and I'm very excited to bring our special guest today, my friend and cousin, Dwight Johnson. Dwight Johnson is the owner of a natural skincare company focusing on goat milk as its base ingredient. Dwight, along with his wife, Marilee, founded the Ben Soap Company in 2011 as a result of a son who had severe eczema. Over the past 11 years, they have grown it from a few goats making soap in their kitchen to a multi-million dollar business. He has also found a lot of joy in his various other entrepreneurial endeavors, many of which are multi-million dollar businesses of their own. Dwight currently resides in Bend, Oregon with his awesome wife, Mary Lee, and their 10 amazing children ranging in age from 18 down to age three. Dwight, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Alan, for having me. Really excited to be diving into this with you.
0: We've been wanting to do this for a while, and it is, as of this recording, Thanksgiving Day 2022, and both of our families are here together, so if we hear a little background noise, that is what it is, right?
1: Yeah, they <laughs> have to just let it go.
0: <laughs> yeah, we have Frozen <laughs> playing, I hear, somewhere through these walls. But anyway, so Dwight, I, I gave a little bit of a high-level overview of, of who you are and some of the success you've had in business already, but could you just kind of elaborate on that and maybe share with our listeners how you got to the owner of Ben Soap with 10 kids and where you are today?
1: Yeah, I accidentally became the owner of Ben Soap by making soap for my son. But I got exposed to business at a very young age. My dad was not an entrepreneur, but he was a business owner. And I jokingly say by default, because his father and uncle sold him and his brother and cousin a business And I had an opportunity to work there growing up. But even before then, I worked for a guy cleaning pigeon lofts named Al Falcone. He owned three pizzerias. And so we talked business a lot as I was cleaning his pigeon lofts because he raced them. And I was really interested in animals at the time, which is funny because now I raise goats. How old were you then? I was probably 12, 13 years old. So that's when I started. I had to walk a mile down to where he lived through the hills down in Southern California and then clean his pigeon lofts and then come back up. And then a lot of times in the afternoon when I get home, I would take a ride in with my Uncle David Allen to my dad's company and work there until my dad came home because Uncle David Allen worked swing shift. And so I got... Introduced to business at a very young age, and then I actually got to manage my dad's business for about three to five years in and out of the business, but I did everything from cleaning bottles in the back room with uh, thinners that are now illegal to use, to driving forklifts, operating equipment making deliveries to the wineries down to Mecula. I did a lot of different facets of the company. I actually started the decal division where we put decals on. We always struggled with that. I was able to solve some problems there, which was really fun. And that's where I understood solving problems adds a lot of value because this is something our company never did. They solved a lot of problems, but not with the decals. And once we figured out a system, we were able to create a whole nother revenue stream. And I was able to get a little piece of that action which really got me excited about the whole concept of not trading my time for money. That was kind of a wake-up call. And my dad had these machines that were running. One was called the Amzal, And it would do 35 bottles a minute. And I got stuck on that thing for months at a time. And me and Hino were running it. And I remember thinking, Hino and I run it all day. And then there's another operator that comes in and runs it until about midnight. And then somebody else comes in and runs it till morning shift. And I'm going, that thing's putting little nickels and dimes in my dad and uncle's bank account while they're sleeping. And that kind of got my brain flexing around the whole concept of creating value without having to be there to create that value. For our listeners, that was a bottle printing company? That's exactly what it was. So we did everything from cosmetics food packaging, really got heavy into the microbreweries when microbreweries blew up and started going. But we did Merle Norman, Max Factor, Revlon. And for years, we did Grape Poupon Mustard. You did back in the day, Pepsi, Cola, glass bottles, right? All the returnable Pepsi for over 20 years. So, I mean, Grandpa Wilbur and Lyman started in 1934. So you would have been what generation?
0: Third generation? We were third generation,
1: which is the one that normally kills it, you know? And, and, And so we would have been that generation, but thankfully I'm not involved with that business anymore. And it's gone on, done some amazing things, but I call it my bootcamp of business. And it was really the opportunity to learn different facets of a business and be able to kind of peel back the layers of the onion where you could see into the bookkeeping, accounting, payroll, accounts receivable, and kind of figure out what makes a business survive and, right. and thrive and well
0: what, what ages just for the context what those five years i off and on maybe for five years but what, what was your age i
1: came back at 19 okay to run the company which is crazy when i think about it i look back and i go were my dad and uncle losing it you know right. but what it was was i had worked there ever since i was in my teen years you know 13 14 15 i was doing decals I got into, like I said, doing the delivery driver at 16. I was going to all the wineries and learned a lot about customer relationships there. But then I'd gone up to Nevada and was working in construction. And they called me because they just lost Grey Poupon mustard, which was about 60% of our volume, not 60% of our revenue, but 60% of our volume, which put a big hole in our bottom line. So they called me up and they said, hey, could you come back and help us through this transition? That transition took a little longer than I thought. But within six months, we were back in the black. Which was the important part to me because they had lost about 80,000 a month, two months in a row. And for a small business, you can't take too many more months of that before you start saying it's time to close the doors. So thankfully they were very old school Dave Ramsey-esque where they believed in being debt-free. And that's really what saved them because if they had creditors that were knocking on their door, they may not have made it through that transition, but they were able to make it through the transition. That year ended up being a positive year. And I know so many people in business that do that. They'll have three, four bad months and they're ready to just give the business to the first body that comes by. And they're like, give me 20 grand. I'm out of here. Like they're done with it. But if they stick through those trials, they stick through those storms. By the end of the year, they look back and they go, Hey, we actually made a profit and we turned the corner and we're starting to, Head the right direction again.
0: Right. So that was your late teen, early twenties years. You're now in your late forties. Yep. Just had a birthday actually. You're yeah, forty eight, right? Forty eight. Forty eight. Happy birthday. What <laughs> two you. days later? Yeah. <laughs> I think something like that. Something
1: like that. Okay.
0: So fast forward us from there to Ben Soap. What happened, you know, Cliff Notes version of getting you to Ben Soap, starting yeah. Ben Soap.
1: Cliff Notes' version. I always liked business after that point. I always was looking at different opportunities. In fact, I had somebody and I won't say who, but somebody speak to me why I was working at that facility. And they told me, I think i maxed out at like 40,000 a year, not counting my little side gigs of decals. And I did some split tea mugs and different things like that. But my salary was 40,000 a year. And they pretty much told me that's probably the apex of my life. Like I probably won't ever make more than that. Wow. I jokingly say you should have wrote inspirational greeting cards. I was so (laughs) pumped by the words of encouragement. I think he was trying to encourage me that I was making a lot of money for my age, but I moved on with my life and I actually made more money selling weather vanes at craft shows the next two years than what I was making there. And it wasn't even a real job. Like it was a side hustle. Right. But that being said, it kind of got me looking at other opportunities through a different lens. I was never really motivated by money. That wasn't what got me out of bed in the morning. I liked quality of life and I liked freedom. So I always wanted to have money coming in and me not directly having to work for it. That being said, I'll outwork anybody I know as far as just get in and grind, but I just don't want to do it forever i have to be seeing a light at the end of the tunnel or have to do it or have have to do it that's the other thing yeah you know i jokingly said my my first time i retired i was 26 is the worst two months of my life like i never want to do that again i was just walking around going what do i do i believe we should always have a purpose and something that's bigger than us that we could sink our teeth into but i did not expect to get into skincare like i'm a dude Skincare doesn't appeal to me. My body's largest organ I know now, I treated it very poorly growing up, just like I treated my health poorly. So yeah, it's a combo of things. One was a health crisis that got me interested in nutrition, whole food nutrition. And thankfully, some very important people came into my life and shared information on that. But then also the soap company started because my son had eczema and we tried everything and nothing was working. And at the time I had a little window washing business. I was dabbling in real estate. I was kind of having fun with some different things. I had a little farm in Redmond. I was happy. I was raising my goats. I had my garden. You know, I I was very content with the life I had. My brother Chad came along and said, Dwight, you got to get off your rear. You're made for more than this and you're just wasting your life. So he was actually one of the catalysts that kind of put a fire under me and said, you got to get out there and start creating value and helping people. But yeah, the soap business, I kind of stumbled into it. Like I said, my son had eczema and I started making soap in our kitchen. And over at my father-in-law's house, whenever he was out of town, in order to help him with his eczema, and it was because we researched for about six months what would benefit the skin, and eczema is like, there's 13 different kinds, and the more I looked into it, the more complicated it got, but what I found is the body may be complicated, but fixing it isn't always complicated, and when you stop putting 15, 20 chemicals on their skin and you start putting vitamin E and antioxidants and the proteins that are in uh, goat milk, the body can miraculously do some amazing things. And that's what happened. His eczema cleared up within two weeks. I thought it was a fluke. I kept going, okay, it's going to come back. Well, I'm happy to say he just turned 16 on the 18th of November. And I say this and it always bugs him, but his skin's better looking than Cleopatra. Like, <laughs> he's got great skin.
0: What every young 16-year-old man wants to have said about their yes, skin, of yes, course. Yes. Right? You know, <laughs> He looks at me like, thanks dad. You know, you mentioned Dave Ramsey a minute ago, and it just reminded me of his very good friend, Aaron Walker, who I had on the podcast. I think it was episode three or four. I don't recall exactly, but he talked about retiring at age 27. I believe it was when he sold his company to a fortune 500 company. And he said the same thing, just that was not the best 18 months of his life that he was retired. You were only retired for two months, but I think you found the very same thing, right? We were not made to Retire to expire, as I know you I've heard you say before.
1: Absolutely. We have to repurpose and get back in the game. Absolutely.
0: So I want to ask you, you've obviously had a lot of success, and you know, I know you're one that would way underplay your success. I think it's fair to say more than anybody I personally know. So I also do know that Ben Soap Company is doing millions and millions of dollars a year in revenue. I know you've got other businesses that I mentioned earlier that are doing multiple millions a year. And I tried To be very clear in episode one of this podcast of success is so much more than just the money. And you just said that a minute ago too, in different words, you know, you were about the freedom and and the impact, and it's not just about the money, although money is a very important part of life. That being said, what would you say though, is one of the big keys to your success, particularly in business, but in any way, I guess.
1: I think a lot of times it's rewiring our brain because we get into ruts And I've seen this with so many people, friends of mine that I love dearly, great people, smarter than I am, more potential than I have, better credentials than I have, and yet they're not going anywhere. They're on this treadmill of almost perpetual failure in a way. And I think a lot of it's a perspective on money. I grew up, money was almost bad. I never got it from my dad. He was never that way. He did very well financially, and he blessed a ton of people. He was very giving, very loving, and almost philanthropy in the way he did life. He he didn't need money for himself. But just the culture I was around, it was like, well, if you had money, you must have taken advantage of someone. Right. And and that's a weird mindset, because it's funny when you think about it. Now that I know people, a lot of people who have made a lot of money— I realized they're some of the most giving, loving, kind people, and they got their money not because they put a, a gun to someone's head and said, give me your money. That's a bad way to get money. It's a great way to spend a lot of time in solitary. But what it is, is it's finding a need and then helping people fix whatever that need is. Solving problems is really what it comes down to. And if you solve problems in this world, you actually get compensated for that. And so I think getting our brain wrapped around the fact that It's not about earning money. It's about helping people. And once you get good at helping people, money comes in. And I've heard people say if your pursuit is money, that's a rough road. You know, the Bible even talks about it. He who hastens to make himself rich, the money grows wings and flies away. And I know a lot of people, I've been there in my life where you're sitting there going, dude, it's growing wings and flying away. This is not good. I can't fly. But that being said, it really came back to rewiring my brain, realizing money is not bad, and then learning the skills and learning. To look at life through a lens of how do I help people? How do I make other people's lives better? And if we do that, money is the natural side effect to that.
0: Yep. That's a great point. I love it. It's interesting, too. I mean, it's like anything. There's always the wrong side of the road and the the other wrong side of the road. And there's the middle road. And I feel like with money, it's one of those things, too, where, yeah, we know the love of money is a big problem. The Bible says the root of all evil but I've met people that have a lot of money that love money. And like you just said, I've met a lot of people that have a lot of money that are the most giving people I know. On the other hand, I've met a lot of broke people that love money. They think about it constantly. You know what I mean? And I've met some broke people that are very giving as well. So anyway, it, I guess it's all what you want to do with that money when it comes through your hands.
1: Dave Ramsey, I think it was him who said, money's kind of a magnification of who you are. And so if you're kind of a pain in the rear, you're going to be a bigger pain in the rear. If you're a narcissistic person, you're going to be more narcissistic. If you're giving, you're going to be more giving. So it's a tool. It's kind of like you got upgraded from a little shovel to an excavator. Now, if you don't know how to operate that excavator, you're going to do some damage. If you don't know how to operate a shovel, you should never be given an excavator. So I think that's the way money is. It's just a tool in our toolkit. Well, the Bible talks about it. He who is faithful in little will also be faithful in much. And I feel like so many people, I had a guy the other day, he says, I thank God he never gave me a lot of money because I was never any good with it. And I'm like, well, there you go. At least you're happy. But I really feel like it's just a magnification of who we are and it all belongs to him. Right. And so the illusion that you have money is kind of silly because the whole concept is he's allowing you to steward his resources. And how you steward it is going to affect other people. And if it's affecting other people in a positive way, then he's probably going to allow you more resources to steward.
0: Right. Absolutely. And going back to your father and mother, I'll add growing up as your cousin and their nephew, I can agree that I've seen that through their life. And What a great example they were of just being so giving, having resources and not hoarding it, but just giving it. And we were the recipient of that along with many, many other people. So what a joy to be a part of. What would you say is one or more of the bigger challenges that you faced in your life to date?
1: It's funny. All of us have a lot of challenges. And it's funny. I'm looking at your wall and it says success and it has the iceberg. You see the tip of it, but you don't see all the things that go into making that happen. Me, it was a lot of mental holdbacks because I never even graduated high school. I didn't have a formal education. Now, I read nonstop. I'm constantly growing my knowledge. I believe education never stops. But that being said, I don't have that piece of paper, that certificate that says you've qualified. So, those are the voices in your head that can hold you back if you let it. Me, it spurred me on because my favorite words are you can't do that. I have a little redneck in me. So, I'm like, yeah, watch this. You know, <laughs> it's more of a challenge. But I think what holds me back is any kind of self doubt. I don't have that skill set or I don't have that ability. Those are the things that are those voices in your head that can hold you back. What's awesome is I don't need that skill set. In most cases, I don't want whatever that skill set is. I want to hire the people who have those. And that's where I think building a team around you is super crucial. I didn't build Ben Soap Company by myself. I brought people into my family that could do that much better than I could. And I'm still in the process. In fact, that's one of the next goals moving forward is finding that team that's going to take it to that next level so we could serve even more customers and we could benefit more lives. And so I feel like a lot of times we listen to other people around us telling us that we have a glass ceiling. And the bottom line is your success is limited to your imagination. Whatever you believe you can do, you probably can don't try flying. If you do jump off two feet first, (laughs) you know, don't go jumping off the cliff. But I'm just saying we hold ourselves back mentally so much and getting around good coaching really helped. It was like drinking through a fire hose, but it really helped me understand we're created for a whole lot more than we even know. And I feel like I'm still trying to figure out who I am in that area.
0: This is a great thing you're bringing up because I think so many people, I mean, as I've said and others have said, I'm sure it's all the valuable things in life. Probably it's one or lost in the six inches between our two ears, meaning what happens in our mind, it's a powerful thing, you know, positively or negatively. And that's why the Bible addresses it over and over again about what we should do with our thoughts and how we should think and how we should think rightly. I know many people will be encouraged by this conversation, but what were some of those voices in your head or that negative self-talk? I mean, was it mainly focused around education? Because you mentioned that you didn't graduate high school. Was it that lack of the formal education that was the main thing that
1: kept coming back around or something else? Multiple things. That would be the main one, because in my generation, see, there's a lot of people out there, Gary Vee, all these people nowadays that are saying, dude, college is a great place to make memories and party. And if your parents are paying for it, rock on. But it's a stupid place to learn. It's not that good at learning. They're teaching outdated information and they're charging through the nose for it. So there's a lot of research now that confirm what I believe, but I was a rogue back then. I was the only guy that was saying, I don't see any value in college. I mean, I could literally read those 10 books and have a master's in business. Why would I go listen to a professor who's never owned a business? Like, I'd rather talk to a guy who's owned one and run one. I don't want to hear theory. I want to hear reality. But I remember a bookkeeper once that we had working for us. She told me, she goes, if you don't get a college degree, you're going to be digging ditches the rest of your life and you'll never earn any more than 15 bucks an hour. And those things when you're younger stick. And I'm sitting there going, good thing I like digging ditches. I'll just dig them better than anyone around me. You know, that was my mindset because I was young and just full of energy. But I, I look at it and those voices constantly coming into my head of people who got their college degree, And were telling me I couldn't do it without, it was kind of a double-edged sword because one thing, it motivated me, but the other side, it was a little voice of doubt of, can I do this? I can't go and apply for a lot of the high-paying jobs. At least that was my mindset because they all required a degree back then. And back then they pushed it even more than they do now. And certainly a high school diploma or GED. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You almost have to have that to get a driver's license. All I don't right. even know how I pulled that one off. <laughs> but I mean, it's funny because there's so many things out there where it's like, you have to have this. And and thankfully I do have a 12th grade education, AKA I was ready to take the test. And then my mom's like, you know what? Let's wait a little bit. And then I went to work full time. And so I went to work full time at 16. I could have graduated, but instead I decided to go to work and she kept saying, oh, we need to take you in. And I'm like, finally, I got to the point where I'm like, I really just don't care. I'm just going to move on with my life. And when I tested, I was like second year in college on several of the subjects. So it wasn't like I felt stupid. I just didn't have the piece of paper. Right. And so I think we let little things hold us back that are completely irrelevant. And most of the time, it's the opinion of others. I have people all the time tell me, oh, that's not a good business model or that's not a good business plan. I go, where'd you hear that from? You're believing it. And you heard it from Uncle Harry who sits on the couch drinking beer, watching football, and he's never made more than 30,000 a year. Like, is that really the business coach you want in your life? Don't listen to the voices that say you can't. Figure out how to surround yourself with people who have done it and who say you can. So for me, it was the voices of people you know, it's kind of the lobsters in the bucket. You start to climb out, they pull you back in. And so dare to be different. You're going to be criticized. Whether you win or lose, you're going to get criticized. That's just life. Get used to it. Take it, absorb it, whatever's true, apply it in your life and change. Because even the most unwell-meaning criticism can be beneficial if you're able to learn from it and grow. Great point. Some really good
0: wisdom there. What would you say for somebody who's in that right now, that mindset where they're just in their head, they've got the doubts, they've got the negative self-talk, whether it's their lack of education or whatever it is, where they grew up or a lack of this or a lack of that in their head, if nothing else, and they feel it's holding them back. They feel it's hampering them from being whatever it is they want to be or become. What would you say to them?
1: It's renewing your mindset. And one of the best ways for me to do it is reading. I have a little dyslexia because that's part of the qualification of being an entrepreneur is ADD and dyslexia. But that being said, if you can't read or don't want to read, there's awesome programs now where you can listen. My son listens to scripture all the time while he's working and he could burn through the Bible so quickly. And I'm like, I wish I would have known about this. Maybe the technology didn't exist when I was a kid, but it's super helpful technology. But I would say, listen to podcasts, but also listen to books. Because there are so many books that can rewire your brain. One of my favorites is The Richest Man in Babylon. It's just really fundamental. You're going to find creating wealth and creating freedom is not as complicated as everyone likes to make it seem. It's being disciplined. Listen to Dave Ramsey. He's got some really good fundamentals on how to kind of just straighten out your life. Self-Made in America is another book that I loved. It really changed my perspective listening to this guy's kind of his life story of how he turned it around from being $250,000 in debt, lost his job, got his license yanked and everything else, went to work for immigrants and learned how to build something from the ground up. There's just so many different tools out there. Zig Ziglar, awesome, Born to Win series. It's right. old, but it's not outdated. No. It's great information of renewing that mind, get in God's word, find out who you are and what kind of creature you are in him and find out that he loves you so much and he wants you to live a life and a life more abundantly. He didn't come here to condemn, but that you might live life more abundantly. And so I look at all these different tools around us. Stop allowing the media to decide what you're going to digest and start taking ownership. You're CEO of yourlife.inc. Start taking ownership of the data that's going into your head and start putting positive input. I think of a friend of ours, Jerry Brassfield, and I think you've had him on the podcast. Yep. dear guy. And he talks about how he was, I think in his mid thirties, forties, something like that, but he was really down. Car's got a flat tire. He quit his job at the furniture store. He was at a really low place. And when you hear him tell the story, you feel like you're in the living room with him. I mean, it's powerful. But he popped in those cassettes and started listening to Zig Ziglar, and it just changed his life. And he's gone on to become one of the more wealthy people I know and impacted a lot of lives. But he did that because he renewed his mind. And so I tell you, get out of the slump or Zig Ziglar, stop that stinking thinking and start putting the right thoughts in your head because as a man thinketh, So is he. So is he.
0: That's good stuff. So would you say there was a moment in time, some aha moment, if you will, that helped you out of that stinking thinking, or is it just this that you just shared? It's the podcast. It's the books that you've read and or listened to the word of God and the totality of all that stuff that over time has just rewired your brain. Because was there some aha moment that helped you break through in that, or was it just a gradual process of these other things rewiring our brain and kind of secondary question to that is is there ever the temptation to have those thoughts come back in so kind of two questions
1: in one i'll answer the second one first absolutely i don't think anybody's immune to stinking thinking i don't think you ever hit that apex of where you're like i have never had a down day you know it's right. we're all gonna fall off the wagon The question is, how fast are you going to get back on the wagon? Are you going to wallow on the side of the road? or Are you going to get back on the wagon and start trucking in the right direction? Um, I heard someone say the road to success is long and hard. Quitting doesn't make it any faster. You know, you got to get up and renew those thoughts every morning. But that being said, do they happen a lot less? Absolutely. Because whatever muscle you're exercising is going to win in the long run. And the problem with a lot of entrepreneurial minds is the more creative you are, If that creative is going positive, it's amazing. But if it starts going negative, it could be amazing in a very negative way because you have that ability to see things before they happen, meaning you create the world you are imagining. You can make it happen, whether it's good or bad. You know, Zig Ziglar always said, do you think you could leave this room today and do something that will affect your life negatively? And you're like, well, duh. (laughs) So the same thing can be positive also. That being said, I believe there were multitude of aha moments, different people who said things who, looking back, probably don't even realize the impact they had on my life. Also, you can pick your mentors. They don't even have to know you. There are people who don't know Dwight Johnson exists, and yet they have pivoted my life radically by a podcast. That's why I love what you're doing here, Alan. People are going to be listening to this podcast, and there'll be somebody on here that's going to share something that they go, oh my goodness, I needed that. And it's going to pivot their marriage. It's going to pivot their life. It's going to put them in a totally different direction. And so looking back, I could say there's a lot of different aha moments, whether it was a book I read, whether it was somebody sharing something with me in their own life. All of these I walk away with going, that was a gold nugget. Like that is something that's going to change my life. But you have to want it. And this is, I think, the biggest aha for me. A lot of people are going through life right now as a victim. And the problem is, if you're a victim, you can't change your circumstances because it's all outside forces that are causing your victimhood. But if you own that your decisions are what got you to where you are today, whether good or bad, and yes, there's extenuating circumstances and some of them can be really brutal. But that being said, you have to own that your decisions got you to where you are in life, good or bad. Because once you own that, you now have control over moving forward and affecting whether you go in a positive direction. Or a negative direction. And so I think that was the biggest one for me is I had fallen in that victim at times where I'm like, dude, these guys are making like 800 grand a year and I'm making like 20 grand a year. And that was a mindset shift for me is I have to work how many years in order to make what they make in one? Like that's half my flipping life. That, that may be my whole life. And I go, I need to change what I'm doing. I need to drastically reevaluate where I'm putting my energy. So yeah, long answer to a short question, but there are a chain of things.
0: Great information you're sharing. I wish we could just go on and on because you're a wealth of information. You're a wealth of wisdom, I would say. And I have no doubt that we could talk for hours and it would just be one of the most incredibly encouraging podcast episodes anybody's heard. But for sake of time, I'm going to move to some of my final questions. What would you say is one piece of advice that you'd give someone else that's in the middle of their struggle, whatever it is, not just maybe what your struggle was, but just in general, they're going through a physical challenge, a financial challenge, a
1: mental challenge, whatever the challenge is. What's one piece of advice you'd give to them? I think the biggest thing is in life, there are seasons. And if we judged all of life by winter, it could seem harsh, depending on if you love winter. Some people love winter, but the trees are bare. There's no fruit. Everything looks dead. But it's a season of rest it's a season of rebuilding it's a season where the nutrients are getting back in the soil and so i think when we're going through a really tough time we have to remember this is a season this isn't my life forever this is a season it's okay to take time out heal get your life back in order and don't rush it learn the lessons through the process and then come out of it stronger i feel like every time i've been punched in the face there's two ways to respond. One is, I'm a victim. I got punched in the face. Wah. The other is, wow, why did that happen? What did I do that brought that about? You know. And then what can I do to avoid that? Because that was painful. How can I grow from this? How can I learn from it? And I've heard it from other entrepreneurs and other people in life. It's the trials that you look back on and realize that's where you grew. And I, I say this very cautiously. Lord, I'm not asking for more trials. But you almost value those more than your successes. Because when you do a successful thing, you start getting a little cocky. You're like, look at all the revenue. Look at, you know, my life is wonderful. But then when you get punched in the face, you realize, hey, there's some things I need to change. There's some key players I don't have in the right seat. There's some things I need to adjust. And so if you're going through a trial, embrace it. Number one, recognize there's a purpose for it. And then what is it that you're going to take away that's going to make Your life better in the future because you are stronger going through whatever it is, and then own whatever it is that you might have done to cause it. You may have done nothing to cause it. I'm not saying that you're the problem. I'm just saying that I've always been able to analyze it and go, dude, I did this, this, and this, and that's why I'm in this position. Grow from that.
0: I love that a lot. It reminds me of episode six when Robbie Gowdy talked about, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he talked about how. Challenges, trials, whatever you want to call them, are the master's degree of character development, I think, is what he said, which reminds me of Romans five verses five, six, seven, maybe right in there, that I was reading just the other day. But I just love that paraphrase, I guess, you know, that challenges are the master's degree of character development, and that's what, what you're saying, is we don't necessarily look forward to the challenges, but we look forward to the fruit of what comes out of them oftentimes.
1: I remember a gentleman who compared himself one time to Haley's Comet, businessmen like him only come along every 60 years, right before he went kaboom, like 30, 40, 50 million in debt. And and he looked back on it and he goes, I can say I've been to a school that most people haven't. I can also say I graduated and I could say I don't ever want to go through that class again. (laughs) Exactly. And so there are trials that we look back on and go, thank you for the trial. Please don't do that again. I don't want to. He goes, but the humility he was able to learn from just thinking he was all that to realizing that we're not all that, right? We need that team around us. We need that support. We need a heavenly father in heaven that loves us even when we do stupid. And so, yeah, nobody's immune to making bad choices. I love how Dave Ramsey talks about I've done stupid with zeros on the end, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, yep, we've all done stupid.
0: Yep. Yep. Some people have done stupid with more zeros on the end than others, as Dave was talking about. So how about a favorite success quote? You probably have many awesome success quotes. What will be one of your favorite?
1: I say what I love about success quotes is they happen in life where you're, you're going through something and you remember Warren Buffett, Dave Ramsey, all these different people that you've heard them say different quotes. But one of my favorites is Zig Ziglar. And it says, you can have everything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. The other one I really love is Warren Buffett. He was talking to a college graduates and he was talking about if you could buy 10% of anybody in this room, who would you buy? And it came down to character, work ethic. It wasn't the guy who is a Val Victorian or whatever. It came down to really just character. And he goes, what's awesome is it's all things that you can develop in yourself and you own 100% of you. And so you can create so much value right there. And he goes, thankfully, nobody bought 10% of me when I graduated (laughs) because he wouldn't want to give that up. But I just look at it and I go, that's a super valuable lesson for me is I own 100% of my ability to create value. You own 100% of what you can create. Let's go out there and help people. Let's go change lives. Let's have an impact in people's lives that they look back and they smile because we came in to their life and just kind of, help shift their direction. That gets me excited.
0: I love it. I love it. Speaking of getting excited, what are you most excited about the future? When you think about the future, maybe a project you're working on, just something you see in the future, anything wide open question, one, something that comes to mind that you're really excited about.
1: And you said one or more. Because there's a ton or more. <laughs> I mean, you can rattle off a list here as we start to wrap this up. I think the future's bright. I feel like so many times if, if you turn on the news, you've, you hear the opposite. But I I just feel like there's so many needs and so many answers to those needs that we could come alongside people and help them. One of the most exciting though is I feel like health is more and more of a concern as Americans are more aware of what can be out there that can harm their bodies. The whole food nutrition company that I'm working with, I absolutely love the opportunity there because I've been taking this product for 20 years, as you know, absolutely love the product, changed hundreds, if not thousands of people's lives with the product. But now i'm realizing the business opportunity is so massive and we could come alongside people and change their whole family tree by allowing them to earn incomes that are much greater and much more time freedom oriented than what they've been doing and i've seen it already happen in so many people in our organization but that being said that really gets me excited about the future because the impact we'll be able to have in so many people's lives I still love real estate, so that's my addiction of choice. I think there's a lot of opportunity out there, and I'm learning all the time. I'm also learning who I am, which sounds crazy. And I I want this to be an encouragement to anyone out there. A lot of us figure out who we are later in life. I didn't come out of the womb going, I'm this. Like I I was a very confused little boy running in circles, throwing mud at the wall. Like I I didn't know who I was going to be. I encourage younger people, get out there and try things. Try a lot of things. Because you don't know what it is that's really going to light your fire. So get out there and try some things. But older people, look at the guy who started Kentucky Fried Chicken. Colonel Sanders. Dude, that guy was like in his 80s. He, yeah. He's an old codger. And he crushed it. you know. And you look at the same thing with Sam Walton with Walmart and the guy who started Home Depot. Like all these different people. He was in his 40s. I think he was like my age. And so a lot of times the best years are in front of us. All this stuff that we've gone through in our past is just the foundation and the building block to create us into the person we are. So I'm excited to figure out more and more who I am and what my skill sets are and where I thrive. Even though I feel like I have certain niches that I've done really well in, I feel like as I grow and I learn more things, I realize I have different skills than I thought I had. And it's kind of interesting and exciting at the same time. So. The future to me is, I just think the personal development and and finding out where this journey is going to take me is what gets me more excited than ever. And then turning back to my family, I love the fact that my boys are reaching an age where they're trying new things, they're stretching their wings, and I'm excited to see who they become. Everyone goes, are they going to take over the business? I said, I hope not. I hope they pursue whatever it is that God puts in front of them and they live their life to the best of their ability. If they want to take over the company, that's fine, but I don't want them to. I don't want them to have golden handcuffs. I want them to do what they were created to do.
0: Right. That's a lot of things to be excited about. I'm getting excited just uh, (laughs) hearing you talk about it. And I I too am excited to get to be partners with you in the health and wellness business. And again, you're downplaying things. I know there's thousands and thousands of people in you and Mary Lee's organization and all those represent people's lives being positively impacted on that side, which is a very exciting thing. And I'll add, yes, I do feel at 50 years old, I know you're 48, we're similar in age. We do have many decades ahead of us with now more wisdom and more knowledge. I mean, it was last half of our life, I believe should be the most productive years of our life if we have our health, <laughs> right? Yes. So that's a big if and uh, something that obviously a reason why we
1: both value health. And right on top of that, when I quote unquote retired at 26, part of it was I I was doing well financially, but I was doing really poorly health-wise. And that was a really tough time in my life because I realized at that point I had money, but I didn't have health. And I'd always valued creating value over on the resource side better than my health. And when I lost my health, I realized really that's my number one asset. Because if I don't have it, I can't love my wife. I can't take care of my kids. I can't create Income. And so that became priority number one. How do I get my health back? And that's why I think I have that passion for whole food nutrition and coming alongside people who have lost their health because there's no more desperate state. Even running it above 80%, you know, I was running below 20, you know, and so I'm going, if I get above 50%, I'd be happy. So I just look at that and I go, we can not only do that, but then we could create the financial freedom on the other side, which I'm even more excited about because I've seen the lack of resources be such a stress in so many people's lives. And when you lack resources, you make bad decisions. And I've just seen that happen over and over again. And it's kind of like what comes first, the chicken or the egg, you know, your health affects your wealth, your wealth affects your health. You kind of have to have a balance. Absolutely. Well, I see them
0: wanting and looking in here at my office, wanting to get us over there for this Thanksgiving dinner, but I got a few just quick 30 second type last questions to ask you. What would you say is one habit that has helped you become successful?
1: asking questions and i know it sounds crazy everyone's like oh i get up at four o'clock in the morning well i'll tell you i don't (laughs) i jokingly said i i didn't know four o'clock came around twice a day i'm not one of these out of bed at four i love the fact that i wake up when i wake up usually it's when my three-year-old comes in and kisses me on the cheek i love having that freedom that being said always ask questions i think people when your kids tell you to stop asking questions because you annoy them but never stop asking questions always figure out why Always figure out the reasons people do things and why they do things and the motivation behind it. I feel like constantly being coachable is one of the habits. I feel like I'll never have enough information where I'm like, oh, I got that figured out. I actually had a friend one time say, they can't go to bed unless they figure out the answer to the question. I'm like, you must be asking really simple questions because there are times I go to bed, I don't know the answer to anything. You know, So right. always ask questions. I think the the ability to ask good questions is really going to be a catalyst for your ability to grow into the person you're going to be.
0: Oh, that's a good one. I love that one. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received?
1: Probably back to being coachable. It was someone who actually complimented me for being coachable, but they also went on to say they've run into so many people who weren't. And I just see people who repeat the same mistake over and over again because they won't listen to outside influence that's saying, hey, we're not here to harm you. We're here to help you. Like you need to change your behavior. You need to change that pattern. So I think come alongside, be humble, be coachable and realize no matter how good you are at something, there's always someone way better that you can learn from.
0: Yep. I love that you added humble because that's what I was thinking as you were talking. I'm like, it takes humility to do what you're saying and ask questions and realize you don't know it all. I don't know it all. We don't know it all. And we have something to learn potentially from anybody. Amen. What is one book that you'd recommend to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway listeners? You mentioned Richest Man in Babylon earlier. Would that be the the book or would there be another one that you'd recommend as well?
1: Oh, there's so many that I love. But yeah, Richest Man in Babylon, I always say for people starting out, it just kind of gives you a good foundation. Robert Kiyosaki's got some great books that I love. Now, once again, do I agree with everything that's in every book? No. No but do I think there's really good nuggets that you can pull out of these books? Absolutely. Right. Self-made in America was another one that really kind of pivoted my thinking. And for somebody who's just starting out, I think that's a great book. There's one I just read the other day and it was uh, go for no. Absolutely. Love that book. Love that book. So yeah. there, there's a lot of great books out there that can really help pivot the way we think.
0: Love it. Love it. Love it. How can our listeners contact you or follow along on your journey? What's the best way for them to do that?
1: Probably the best would be email, even though I don't check it much. Um, (laughs) I do check it. And I actually have a a personal assistant that's been helping me a lot because when she realized I had 90,000 unread emails, she just Uh, about had a cardiac. uh Um, But that being said, uh, Dwight at BenSoap.com would be the easiest right now. And then we are launching more things on Facebook and whatnot with the Whole Food Nutrition. And so there will be ways for us to communicate through that later. But at this this time, I'd say Dwight at BenSoap.com.
0: Perfect. And any closing comment as we wrap this up?
1: No, I just, I'm thankful that you took the time to interview me. That was super kind of you and generous. I'm also wanting to encourage anybody who's listening to this, no matter what you're going through, you got this.
0: I love it. Some great advice. Dwight, thank you so much for taking time out of your Thanksgiving day to pop in here in my office and record this interview with me for the audience. I know everybody's going to be greatly encouraged. And I just want to say thank you very much.
1: Thank you. And uh, let's get some turkey. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled a ncom You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contact page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.